Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss. A tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. It happened. Number cut by Douglas. Down goes Tyson. right hand. Welcome as always, fight fans, to another episode of Legendary Night with me, your host, Sean Basto, shortly to be joined by Johnston Brown, and this episode is the tale of marvellous Marvin Hagler versus Thomas the Hitman Hearns. This is the fight, or as commonly known as the war. Before we get into this episode, please go and check us out on social media at Legend Night Pod on Twitter and BTR Boxing Podcast Facebook page. If you've not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so by checking us out on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or Spreaker or Stitcher, any of the available podcasting apps out there, we are on there. So, this is the fight and this is the war. This is eight minutes of hell. This is the tale of Marvin Hagler and Tommy Hearns. It's eight minutes. Eight minutes of pure ferociousness, eight minutes of back and forth action. This is the tale of Marvin Hagler versus Tommy Hearns from 1985. Johnston, absolute brilliant fight to be talking about for this Legendary Nights episode. And one that has always been one of them fights where it's a go-to fight. When I ask people what would they go and watch on YouTube... This is definitely up there as one of them fights that you would click in and go, right, I'm going to go and watch this fight now. This is an amazing fight. It, it really is. And as you say, it is just a magnificent eight minutes of boxing. It, it's just a stunning. Um, I mean, you say that about sort of going onto YouTube and have a look at it. it was when I was, oh, God knows now, probably about 20 years ago, I, I, someone told me that I need to watch Hagler Hearns. And, and I knew who Hagler was. I weren't too familiar with Hearns, to be honest with you. And, uh, 
I remember going and, and sort of, I think it was a DVD or it, it, might, it may have even been something on like a Sky or cable or some network I was watching it on. But either way, I was amazed. My mouth was open for literally those whole eight minutes and I was absolutely just in awe of what I was watching. And, and still to this day, 20 years on, I, I can't really pick a better free rounds of action to be honest with you it's just stunning absolutely stunning brilliant fight and i'm really excited to go through this because there's so many fat bombs to bring to you in this episode that maybe anyone that's watched that fight might not have even known about in this particular build up to the fight so i'm really excited to go through and sort of break this stuff down and and talk about it because there's stuff that i didn't even know about and it's, it's really good when you sort of start to break things down a little bit more uh, with the build-up because you think of the fighting you just think of the eight minutes of uh, ferociousness and, and you know the hell that they both went through in the eight minutes and then you think about the aftermath and all the rest of it but then you don't really think about everything else that led to this fight especially if you was young or not even born in, in that particular area when this fight happened this really gives you a bit of bigger insight into what this fight meant and how this fight was built so as always we're going to cover it off we're going to go into the careers of both of them in a little bit of context and then we'll obviously go into the build-up the fight and then the aftermath what it meant to boxing and what it meant to both of these men so let's begin then with marvelous marvin Hagler. we have done a career profile on marvin Hagler, so if you do want to go and listen to that you can listen to it on the career profiles podcast feed go and check that out and it's on twitter at career underscore profiles we do a full deep dive into the career of marvin so we're going to really touch on a few of the fights in the lead up to the tommy hearns fight of course so he picked up the world titles for the first time in 1980 that was the the, the, the big night for marvin hag that's when he got the world titles that's when he got the rec recognition that he deserved he did previously attempt to get the world titles but got a draw against vito antifermo then gets the win over Alan Minter, but the celebrations were, were cut short against Alan Minter because it was over here in London and he was getting bottles and he was getting all sorts of crap thrown at him, so they literally escorted him out of the ring and he never got the opportunity to actually celebrate becoming a world champion. Now, the referee, Beresan, has the corner man. The fight stopped. It's over that quickly. The middleweight champion of the world is Marvin Hagler. That quickly, he fought his fight. When Minter tried to mix it up, he had no chance at all. Now bottles are being thrown into the ring, and beer cans, and the corner people are trying to protect Marvin Hagler, the British fans. And that's in accordance with fan behavior these days. Tragically, the British fans are upset that the fight was stopped. No, he didn't. Um, it, was, it was a bit of a sour point for Hagler after, you know, fighting for so long. I mean, he was 49-2-2 two and two going into the Alan Minter fight. And uh, he had, as you say, rightly or wrongly, I, I still believe he, he beat Vito Altaferro. I, I still think he deserved it. He got the draw. But, as you say, 27th, 27th of September, 1980, at Wembley Arena, he, he defeated Alan Minter. And, and it was awful. I mean, all the bottles come flying in and the police are literally escorting them out. So, 50, is his 50th win. Uh, and he was uh, finally, finally, the middleweight champion of the world, and, and deservedly so. And I mean, as you say, we've already been through his career. He had a, it took him a while to get there, but you know, winning the WBA, WBC, the ring, and the lineal middleweight titles that night, and, and he was superb against Minter. And I think he moved on in his career after a couple of defenses throughout 1982 and 1983. We get to the back end of 1983, and we get to the 10th of November 
And a particular fight that I wanted to mention was the fight against Roberto Duran. So this was obviously an interesting fight because Duran had obviously moved up throughout the weights. Another guy we've done a career profile and you can go and check out on that feed. We've talked about the way Duran had moved up through the weights. So he'd eventually come up to the middleweight division to challenge Marvin Hagler for all them titles. And lo and behold, he actually went the distance with Marvin Hagler. One of the first people to actually go out there and give Marvin Hagler a really, really tough fight. It wouldn't be the first Marvin Hagler tough fight, but this was, was one of them that he was involved in where you expected maybe to, to, to blow Duran out of the water given the, the weight and the, the height difference in this particular fight. But yet, yeah, Roberto Duran managed to grind his way through that fight and, and give Hagler some problems in that fight and managed to respectfully get through the fight 15 rounds Hagler wins, gets a unanimous decision, defends his titles, but, you know, I think both walked away with, with, with great respect for each other after that. Certainly did, and, and Roberto Duran, as you say, moving through the weights, fighting a legitimate middleweight in, in Marvin Hagler, a very solid fighter, and, and people say that Hagler probably give Duran a little bit too much respect, where he would have, he when he was in the incentive, he, he decided to not follow through with it, maybe because he was more worried about what Duran was going to come back with, and it was very tight up until... Now, even the 13th, I believe the 13th round, um, it was when Duran was ahead by one point on two of the judges' scorecards. So, you know, Hagler had to win those last two rounds with a swollen left eye and a cut. And he managed to win the last two rounds, which won him the fight. And, and generally, people sort of, I, I, I suppose, who came out of it probably the, with, with most respect was probably Roberto Duran because of the fact that, you know, we're not going to touch too much on it, but Hearns had literally demolished Duran. I think it might have been after actually, but even still, you know, the fact that Hagler had gone the distance with Duran, whereas Hearns didn't, I think this is where uh, a lot of the uh, moving into the fight and the build-up for it, that's where a lot of the tensions were coming from, from Hearns' perspective in terms of, you know, I think it was 84, I think it was maybe a year later that he gets rid of Duran. So it's interesting to see Duran do that against Hagler and then obviously, you know, what, what Hearns goes on and does, which we'll speak about later. Going into another fight of Hagler's career, which I wanted to touch on, is Juan Domingo Roldan. So that particular fight was where Marvin Hagler supposedly and arguably got knocked down, which he <laughs> always adamantly and vehemently denies was a slip. And when you watch the footage back, it does look like a little bit of a slip, but did a punch cause it? Well... Go and check it out and have a look and, and let us know because it's a very difficult one to, to, to go off, really. You can argue both ways with this particular one. But that was the first time he'd, and only time in his career, that he'd ever actually touched the canvas. So that is an interesting one to go and look back on. He did obviously eventually go on to stop Rodan to defend his titles. And then he'd have one more title defence against Mustafa Hamshow before the fight was announced in late 1984, which we'll go on to in the build-up. So you're going back to Thomas Hearns then and Thomas Hearns' career in the lead-up to this. Obviously, Thomas Hearns started his career uh, through the lower weights. Again, another guy who's a career profile has been done on. So again, go and check that out and look at the full career of Thomas Hearns through our Career Profiles podcast. So Thomas Hearns' career obviously is is different because he came up through the welterweight division and he came up having fights with Sugar Ray Leonard. So he'd already had his defining night. He might have been on the wrong end of the result in that defining night, but it was a very, very good fight. And he was beating Sugar Ray Leonard in 1981 up until he got stopped late in the fight. So that was his big night, really, where he came on from. And then from there, he'd go on, obviously, to pick up the light middleweight or super welterweight titles. And then 
whilst he was the super welterweight champion, he decided then to move up to middleweight to take on Marvin Hagler. And and that really sort of sums up Thomas Hearns. I mean, you can look at a couple of notable wins on there that we touched on earlier. The Roberto Duran was one of them, but the Wilfred Benitez victory as well was another one. So two brilliant names on his record there. But the Duran one in particular for this legendary night is the one that I think the comparisons were made from, as you rightly pointed out. So you look at the fact that in 1983, Marvelous Marvin Hagler goes the distance, losing on the cards at one point of the fight, goes in and eventually grinds out that victory over Duran. A year later, Roberto Duran gets demolished in two rounds by Tommy Hearns. Absolutely gets flat out on the floor, face down. Good right hand by Duran, however. Duran did get that punch in, one of the body. Nice A right hand by, Dur- by R- Tommy Hearns, and he's all over Duran. He is all over him. Duran, barely able to defend himself, grabs and holds. He's look out. Look at that, look at that. The legs are gone. Duran is hurt. He's wobbly. Tommy hits him look with the right, right hand. Vicious Another right hand. Right. I think this fight is very close to being over. A left hand. Durant fights off the ropes. Oh, Oh, he's out. He's out. out. He's out. He was out before he hit the canvas. At a minute 58, turns with the the right hand. Stop the fight. It's over. Carlos Padilla out before he hit the canvas. That's all. This fight is over. And, yeah, you've got this comparison of, well, Tommy Hearns move up. Can he actually cause Marvin Hagler some problems? Will he be able to cause him some problems? And I think... It's really interesting because the build-up is is probably the best part, as well as the fight, of of the whole event. The the build-up itself kind of made the event for me, looking back on everything. I think if I was a boxing fan in 1984, 1985, I think the way they did go on to actually sell the fight, you know, it really sort of got me engaged in it. I was looking back through all the videos and the interviews and the footage of it, and it's just... It's just really good. It's like it's what you like about a fight. It's what makes you excited about a fight. So that leads us on nicely. Then the build-up of the fight. This is what we want to touch on predominantly for for the episode because there's so many different stories to talk about in this one. So as I said, the build-up started to begin in late 1984, but originally this fight was actually supposed to happen in 1982. Feel as though that I took a lot out of Roberto Duran. It was only a shell of the fighter that when I fought him. And not to take anything away from Tommy, because that's the way to go in and get the job done. But I tell you, the biggest fight that I've been waiting for, and that's with Sugar Ray Leonard, now that he's, he's gone out of the game, now I only have one other thing to do, and that's to fight Thomas Hearns. And I'm planning on breaking every bone in his body. You sound like you've got a vendetta against Thomas. Are you not still really. upset about the fact that that first fight that you had going was Exactly. Called? I trained very hard for that. I'm still a little disappointed about it. But that's great, because that's the name of the game. This is a money opportunity sport. And uh, I think that Thomas is a great fighter, not to take anything away from him. But uh, it's, it's due to happen, because we're getting closer every day. Thomas, it sounds like he's ready. Yeah, well, it sounds like I'm still shaking, ready. Tommy. I'm still I know. shaking. After watching this fight, watching the replay of this fight, uh, this Duran Hearns fight, uh, Mom, I know you're definitely scared. You, I, I can see you shaking. You're shaking like a leaf on a tree right now. Um, and just a matter of time before you fall. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, you're never going to make it to the light heavyweight because first you have to get through me. That'll be an easy test. Oh, okay. Action. Action. Put the name on the contract. I'd oh, like I, to promote I this. contracts don't mean anything anymore. <laughs> you ready to go? What about this fall, Marvin? Any tax well, problems or can right, you go again this year? Well, right now what we're trying to do is uh, I'm spending a little time with my family and stuff. And, Spend a lot uh, of time, Marvin. Listen, listen. And also 
to uh, take care of one, which is number one contender, Mustafa Hamshaw, and then come after Thomas Hearns. You do want to fight Hamshaw first. I want to get that yeah, straight. Yeah, I believe because he is the number one contender, and there is a, uh, a mandatory defense there. Now, does that mean you would put Hearns off until early next year? Marvelous. How would you well, set we that up? Not to, because Tom, uh, Tommy don't really uh, scare me at all. And uh, I feel as though they have to stuff to beat him. Durant stood too, too upright and really didn't put the pressure on Tommy the way you should have to fight Tommy. All right, Marvelous. Good luck to you. Thank you very much. All right. And Thomas, good luck to you. I know it's just a matter of time because that is the fight that the fans want to see. So good yeah, luck to both right. Yes, it was supposed to happen three years earlier. So, you know, we've, uh, we've Leonard heading towards retirement back in 82 and, and Durant still tainted with the no-mass fight. Hagler and Hearns were basically two marquee boxers in the sport at the time, and and a matchup and a fight it seemed inevitable. So by sort of earlier in 1982, Bob Arum, Hagler's lawyer Steve Wamright, and Emmanuel Stewart, who of course was the legendary Emmanuel Stewart, who was in um, Hearns' corner for his whole career, had hen- had they entered into a unique three-fight contract, pitting Hagler against a trio of middleweights from Stewart's Cronk Gym. So under the terms of the agreement, Hagler would have to fight, in order, Mikey Goodwin, William Lee, and then Hearns. But what happened was, was Goodwin actually broke his hand in training. So therefore, Lee was pushed in as a bit of a late replacement and, you know, wasn't quite ready for Hagler. And that was clear, clear to see because Hagler absolutely dispatched him within a minute and the caveman went back into his little cave. Um, <laughs> and that was the end of that. Um, and then Goodwin was still actually injured. So Hagler-Hearns was scheduled to fight on the 24th of May, 1982, in Windsor, Ontario, which is just across the river from Detroit. So, you know, there was a dispute as well with subscriptions. I think HBO were involved, and I believe there was a there was a contract with Top Rank, and, and they needed, it had to be on HBO, and, and there was this pending legal case. Basically, during that time, it was where Hearn broke his pinky fingers, and, you know, the famous quote with Hagler sort of saying, you know, I'd have cut it off if I had to, if it was me. The fight ended up getting cancelled. So three years before, it was all ready. Dates were set. I, I believe that the posters made, tickets were printed. It was all ready to go. The injury to, to Hearns stalled it. And then eventually they, they called it and they said, you know what, let's leave it and, and we'll wait for another time. And obviously it went to 1985. So uh, yeah, that was the end of that. Three years before, looked like it was going to happen, didn't. Once we can get Marvin to watch left jab, get his mind on the left hand, then it will be no problem with getting other shots off. Hearns' best uh, defense is his offense, because that's the only way that he knows how to fight. Uh, in my way, I have to make my defense my best offense. So, uh, and though that I have both ways, because once I get him in trouble, I can change it around. Thomas don't have that ability. I'm here to show the world that I have the ability to punch and power to get in and knock out Millerways light heavyweights, whatever, welterweights all the way up to the light heavyweight division. I have that power. I have my mind focused on one thing, and that's to destroy him. That is to knock him out. If I have the opportunity, if it's there, I'm going to take it. I think that this fight here will put me in the position for to make greatness and uh, put me one step closer to greatness and wishes to win the four titles. That's what I feel. War. That's what's on my mind. I don't see the fight going to a round. I've been feeding the fate and I've been starving the doubt. So there's no doubt in my mind that I can't win this fight or that I won't knock Thomas Hearns out. 
Well, it was good for them that it made 1985 because just three years later, it actually become a much more financially viable fight because both of these men would make a lot more money from it happening in 1985. So the guaranteed purses for, for, for overall for the actual fight was 10.5 million minimum. And basically, they did get a good percentage each. So I think it was around about 50-50 on this. It's, it's, we've spoke about 50-50 purse fights before in previous episodes I mean, it's not often you see that in in this day and age of boxing but back then both of them in their own respective rights were the draw because you had the undisputed middleweight champion and you had the super welterweight champion the wbc super welterweight champion so these guys were big marquee names as you pointed out a little bit earlier so they were going to make a hell of a lot of money so when the fight was officially announced in 1984 the first press conference took place and both of them, full of smiles, really happy. And it's quite evident by looking at them that the money was speaking here. Not only the fact that they were going to get the fight, but the money was speaking. And in January and February of 1985, Marvin Hagler, Tommy Hearns and Bob Arum embarked on the magical mystery tour, as they called it, in order to sell the fight. So they went on to visit 22 cities in separate corporate jets. So this was a big way of them promoting the fight. And what was interesting about that was the fact that there was certain certain countries and certain cities that did go in there. And I think when you look back on, on the footage of both men's careers throughout the whole of the careers, what you'll notice for me is that Tommy Hearns weren't really the biggest talker throughout most of his career. Marvin Hagler wasn't really much of a talker either. So, you wasn't really going to get an exciting press conference. And Tommy Hearns was basically told, look, you're going to have to go out there and sell this fight. You're going to have to really push this to the casual audience. We, you know, we need to sell these tickets. So, you see Tommy Hearns in press conferences giving it the big I am. A lot more talkative. He wasn't very comfortable with doing that either. However, it was absolutely pertinent to this fight getting big mega money out of it and big TV recipients, I think, by going out there and selling it. And that's exactly what they did. So then this Magical Mystery Tour brought up a few interesting stories. And there was one particular that really I found absolutely amusing. <laughs> and it was the one about the corporate jets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, Caesars owned one of the planes, which was a state-of-the-art Gulfstream G2. So I'm, I'm not too savvy with planes i'm not you know for me that's it's just a jet i'm guessing it's a nice big jet that's about what i can tell you so bob Barron then leased the second jet which was the falcon now the falcon was slightly less luxurious and it was a bit slower than the gulfstream so the plan was for hagler to fly the gulfstream he was going to fly the gulfstream west of the country and then the falcon where hearns was going to be and he was going to fly to the east and then what was going to happen was was both of them would eventually meet at Las Vegas. So once they arrive at Las Vegas, both planes land, they switch. So Hearns goes in the Gulfstream, and then obviously Hagler decides, you know, he jumps on on the uh, Falcon. Now, the trouble was, was when the plane reached Vegas, Pat Petronelli told Bob Aaron that Hagler has no interest whatsoever of flying in the Falcon. He was quite happy with their more luxurious plane. And he said, if you tell me I need to go on the Falcon, then basically I'm going home. Now, when Hearns found out that, it, that this was the case, you know, he hit the roof, he was absolutely 
pissed. He was miffed off. He, he was basically threatening the same. I'm going home as well. So, you know, having the, both having a bit of a hissy fit about it. So in the end, Bob Arum, cut, he saved the day by leasing another plane. Now, what he did was he leased an identical G2 Gulfstream jet uh, with equal features so they could res- resume the tour. So they had this stupid little hissy fit between a pair of them. But in the end, they both had the same jets and then they continued the tour. Um, and it was, as you say, during the tour where Hearns repeatedly disrespected Hagler, uh, engaging in constant tra- trash talk, which basically pissed Hagler off. And even Emmanuel Stewart said, it was completely out of character of Tommy to be doing this, but it was just business to promote a fight. And yeah, so Hagler was getting rather irritated with, with Hearns. And, and in, in his own words, he said, you know, the tour did me good because it pissed him off and, and he lost respect for Tommy. Therefore, you know, one thing about Hagler, he liked to, to want to hate somebody because it helped him get into the ring. And obviously it was all nicey-nicey, $5 million each, happy days. Then with this tour and, and Hearns chatting shit, it just riled Hagler up and he, was, he, he had no respect for him during the tour and he was ready to ready to go to war this rivalry has been brewing for three years Hagler saw Hearns in his future as far back as 1982 they were scheduled to meet but a Hearns hand injury intervened in my corner I'm going for injury and when I go in there I want to be in tip-top condition and great health finally the fight was canceled Hagler was livid and he was going to make $2 million. He turned down $2 million. The first beginning, Ray, he started complaining about his little baby pinky. You know how many people will give a million dollars for that little baby pinky? They cut that thing off. And come April 15, and three rounds. I would be the greatest. And Tommy said, I'm going to be laying down there, and his hands are going to be raised. I feel almost the same way, but when the smoke clears, because I'm coming out smoking, as you know, well, it was interesting because that, that motivation was exactly what he needed. Hearns basically trash-talking to sell the fight is exactly what he needed. Now, I think what really annoyed Marvin Hagler was the fact that, obviously, Hagler went 15 rounds with Duran, and Tommy Hearns blasted him out in 1984, and that was what Tommy Hearns was selling it on the basis of, like, you know, look what I did to Duran against what you struggled with against Duran and that that's that is exactly what he needed. That was the fuel to the fire for Marvin Hagler because that put him into the, that war perspective. Basically he went out there and said, I'm going to do to him what I did to Alan Minter in nineteen eighty, which was destroy him. So this was setting the tone of, of what was going to be uh, an unbelievable fight, of course. And another story that we've got here is Hagler and Hearns were actually due to meet for the last time in New York where the Sports Illustrated magazine would shoot for the cover photo for its fight week issue. Now, Hagler had to pull out due to picking up a code on the tour, but Hearns was ready to make his way after picking up the 1984 Fighter of the Year award at a WBC dinner. So, Hearns builds the 767, which is, again, another jet, but due to the mechanical trouble, it had to return to the gate. So, when it finally took off, one of the two engines actually caught fire, so it ended up forcing an emergency landing. Oh, at, no. So they ended up landing at Salt Lake City, and I've I've been on planes. <laughs> I've been on planes before, and I'm not the best with flying myself. And even a little bit of turbulence gets me going. To be honest with you, holding onto my seats for dear life, I can't even, I can't even imagine what Tommy Hearns was going through. 
I went one of the engines caught fire, you must have been like, yeah, this is the end for me now. This is the end for me now. So it affected him so much so that there was even talk of the fight being completely moved <laughs> because of the fact that he wouldn't get on a plane. And they were talking about they may have to even move the fight to Salt Lake City after all that. So well, it was absolutely crazy that in the build-up to all this, this happened. And this was something, like I said earlier at the start of the episode, I never even knew that that had happened. So it was a, a great little story to come upon that. Even during the press tour, there was trials and there was tribulations, which was leading into a nice, interesting fight. Let's move on then and let's look at more parts of the build-up because, as we were talking about earlier on, the build-up is is what essentially made this fight what it was and it was about them two delivering in the ring on the night, of course. Now, in the build-up for it, for for Tommy Hearns, he'd only actually ever faced one southpaw in his professional career to date before the Hagler fight. So, Manny Stewart, he had to bring in left-handed fighters. So, he brought in a left-handed trio of Cecil Pettigrew Brian Muller and Charles Henderson to basically have him fight ready for Hagler, who was a southpaw. So that was only one southpaw that he'd ever faced throughout his career. And obviously going into this fight, it was a lot of experience that he'd always had against orthodox fighters. And you look at his career going into the fight, he'd had 41 fights going into the Hagler fight. 41 fights and he'd faced 40 orthodox fighters and only one southpaw fighter. So... Yeah, it was the right move, of course, from the legendary Manny Stewart to certainly get Southpaw fighters in his, in his sparring to, to help him prepare for what was going to be a ferocious Marvin Hagler. Yeah, it was. And, and obviously, Emmanuel Stewart did allude to the fact that, you know, although Hagler, he was a, a right, he was a right-hander, and he actually just he, he switched his stance. He felt more comfortable in the Southpaw stance, which is something we did discuss in, in when we'd done his career profile. But so he's a bit of a switch here. So that's the difficulty as well. Although Hearns, as you say, many of orthodox, you know, sometimes just having a fight, having that southpaw stance and then switching and leading with the other hand, it's going to be really confusing. That was one thing that Manuel Stewart said he couldn't do. You know, it was tricky. You know, you have a left, what, I think what he did do is get a southpaw in and then just throw a, an orthodox fighter in the next round. He was mixing it up a bit, just trying to keep Hearns guessing, you know, and not knowing what was coming next kind of thing. So, you know, that was, that was the ideology of it. And Hagler, in, in his side, he, he brought in actually Donald Curry, where he actually trained at, he trained at Palm Springs in a luxurious five-star hotel. I think it was to do with his cold. I think the Petronelli's decided to stay there because he had this flu and with the hot weather, it's going to help him. So they brought in Donald Curry, and Donald Curry was a 5'9 welterweight champion at the time, WBA and IBF titles. And it was in basically preparation for her, you know, being such a tall, a tall guy at the weight. And, and no doubt, you know, although... Hagler being the bigger guy in terms of fighting at middleweight, Hearns, although he fought for the lower divisions, he was tall. He was he was four four inches taller than than uh, Hagler. So, but but the one thing that Hagler did do is, I think when they arrived in Vegas, they decided to to move off to uh, Taco's ringside gym. So it was a bit away from all the gl- all the glitter and the lights of Vegas. Whereas Hearns sort of stuck around. He quite liked that and had his massive entourage, so he quite enjoyed it. But Hagler. He said he wanted to move away and go to a smaller gym just to get the smell of a gym. And he, he kind of had this great quote, actually. He says, after Palm Springs, I needed to get used to the smell of a gym again. It's not that we had any secrets. It's just that we were trying to get down to the serious business. Over at Caesars, every time you fart, it winds up on television. 
And when the corners are trying to tell you something, there's a microphone stuck in your face. So in his, in his eyes, he's sort of thinking, well, look, let's get away from it. Let's get grounded. Let's get back, back, back down to earth before we go there on the night into the main seat as a hotel. So, uh, yeah, that was his ideology. And he felt that it, it getting more ready for it. And, and the other thing, which was really, really strange, was Hearns actually held the WBC Super Worldweight title. Now, he obviously moved up. I think he had fought at middleweight. But it wasn't for a title, I don't believe. He may have fought to defend his title. I can't quite remember. But either way, Jose Sullivan initially threatened to strip Hearns of his title if he fought Hagler instead of John Mugabe, who was the other number one contender. Now, Hearns was later granted, granted this position, provided that Hagler and Hearns fight is scheduled for 12 rounds and not 15. So rather than sort of face a yet another delay like they had in 1982, they reluctantly accepted. So that's why this fight is 12 rounds and not 15, because of Jose Solomon. We'll go on to another part then of the build-up, and we go into the judges. So there was a bit of an argument prior to the fight taking place due to the fact that the, when the judges were announced, we had Reynolds Herb Santos, Englishman Harry Gibbs, and Rudy Ortega of Los Angeles. Pat Petronelli objected to Ortega, stating that he might favour Hearns, basically. And what happened eventually was that they go for a, a third judge that was switched to Dick Young. What was interesting about that was even Bob Arum got involved in this particular incident. Even he decided to put his 10 pence in by saying, I don't want to see them try and steal it from Marvin. So during the press conferences then, in the final week, this is where Hearns starts to get his final little jibes in against Marvin Hagler, bearing in mind they'd been on press conference after press conference, city after city, country after country. We get to fight week, we get to the final press conference, and Tommy Hearns, he's still at it, he's still cracking on, and in this particular final press conference, he decides, I'm going to get more insulting on Marvin Hagler, I'm deciding I'm going to call him a midget in this one. I decided, because of the fact that he was four inches taller, he was going to use the fact that he was taller, uh, and basically mock him because... He's a smaller guy, which, in terms of how insults go, I don't think that is a great insult, to be honest with you. I'm pretty sure <laughs> pretty sure there could have been some, some more war of the words in there. But obviously, Hagler weren't going to let this go down the way it went down. And he decided to come back, and he basically said, Tommy Hearns, he short to be playing basketball instead of fighting me. He was a lanky, gangly fighter. We've talked about him. We've talked about how he isn't a natural you wouldn't have seen him in the welterweight division. He was very big, very tall for a welterweight, and he was a gangly fighter, and he did look like a basketball player. So let's have it right. Marvin Hagler was totally right on that one. So <laughs> that's, it, that's it. Go. Let's move into the final bit of the build-up before we move in to the fight itself. So pretty much, I mean, the weigh-in was, was... All the talking had been done. There was no more talking to be done. They literally just shared the glances at the way, and nothing was really said. And it wasn't until the actual the night where, where there were problems started to arise. And it was Emmanuel Stewart, actually. He was in the dressing room wrapping up Hearns' hands. And, and it was, uh, I believe it was Billy Hearns, who's Tommy Hearns' brother, ended up having an altercation with uh, one of the security guards. It ended up turning into a massive fight. So, actually, Emmanuel Stewart only half-wrapped Hearns' hands, which is interesting, considering how the fight goes. So, so that was the first bit. And then the, the other bit is when they made their entrances, entrances and they got into the ring. And uh, Hagler sort of standing there and he's doing his shadow boxing and uh, Billy Hearns obviously probably reared up from the argument he's just had he's starting to talk Hagler from across the ring now 
seemingly oblivious to Marvin, who continued just to sort of shadow box. But it was later on that Hagler actually said, yeah, I see him. I was thinking, right then, <laughs> all you're going to do is get your brother's ass kicked. <laughs> so he was already, and it was, you know, Hagler was just on a, on a mission this night. And for me, the one thing about Hagler is just from the instance, going back to the gym, getting the smells of the gym back, getting his head out of the clouds after being in Palm Springs and he was ready and he was literally that the Capri wore the whole tour with war across it. That was Hagler's mindset. Whereas I believe Hearns may have been a little bit more away with the fairies. As, as he said, he was walking on the Duran cloud after what he'd done to Duran in two rounds and, and he's going to put it right. Albeit they both showed unbelievable courage and it is a, a massive, just massive, excellent fight. You know, I just believe that Hagler probably had the little had the ball by the horns, if you, if you like, and he was ready to go to war. Well, I think one of the the facts that came out after the fight, but was significant in my eyes for the fight itself and the way the fight went down, was the, the retrospective talk of Tommy Hearns decided to have this massage before the fight, which. Manny Stewart was totally against and Manny Stewart totally believed was a, a big factor on, on fight night. So he decides out of character and something he didn't normally do in his pre-fight ritual was he decided to have a sports massage, which Manny Stewart basically felt weakened legs. And when they talk about women and they talk about having no sex before fights and they talk about the same sort of effect of the, the, the relaxation and, and, and how it relaxes the muscles and how essentially it doesn't sort of put them into the, the sort of tension that they need to be in, you know, the, the fear factor of a fight and, and be more sharp and agile on the night. Essentially, he received a massage before the fight and that was part of the reason, arguably, why Manny Stewart feels he went out there and decided to go gung-ho in the fight, which is what we're going to move into, of course. Now, the fight itself... One of the greatest short fights you'll ever watch in boxing. Absolutely unbelievable. And it's an absolute pleasure to, to have watched this fight back over and over and over again. And I, I can't really give justice to, to, to sort of how good of a fight this is for, for just only eight minutes of a fight. So let's move into let's move into it. The first round then. Staring at each other through the national anthem. It's there down, of course, so customary before these fights. And here we go. Round one. Hagler, right off the bat, attempting to get inside. He'd love to be able to pin Hearns on the ropes if he can. A more aggressive start by Hagler. Look at him right for the body. Marvin Hagler only wants the body. He bangs Marvin. Oh, Hearns went hurt him with a right hand. Hurt him with another right. Hearns hits him with an uppercut. Hagler, he's hurt. Hurt. Hagler is done. Hearns got inside. Hit him with a right uppercut. Marvin ties him up. Marvin Hagler is still hurt. So it was Hagler coming out like a bullet. A good left by Hagler. But Hearns didn't click. Marvin going for the body. Wild first round. That first round is probably the best first round of a fight you'll ever see. And the only other one I can say that maybe comes somewhere near that is the, the first Manny Pacquiao-Juan Marquez fight. Yeah, I mean, even then, I mean, the thing is with, with this fight in particular is that the first round especially is always, they always seem to try and uh, compare them with any other fights. If any fight goes to war early, the first things you'll hear a commentator say is, Always oh, is like Hagler Hearns, and, and it just that just says everything you need to know about. I mean, even Richard Steele refereed the fight. He said, "I've been refereeing for 15 years, and I don't think I've seen that much intensity in a fight before." And 
And we all know Richard Steele, he's, you know, he's a legendary referee. And, you know, he's been there, seen it, done it. So the first round was just, I mean, they both just come at each other like a train. It was just, it was an even battle uh, that will always go down as one of the best rounds of championship boxing ever, if not the best. And it was just mesmerising action, literally from both. And they burst out of their corners, their retrospective corners, and they just went to war. Hearns was sort of throwing right hands at Hagler, but the champ would sort of put his head down and he'd march forward. And, and, and Tommy was shooting rights and, and Hagler was basically popping off the, the jab, throwing hooks from his southpaw start. So it was just constantly relentless. They, they were throwing so many shots at each other. Everybody that was watching the fight was a new army. And as I say, I watched it later on in my life. And obviously, probably about 10 years after, if not a bit longer. And I was just amazed by it. And Hearns does it. He does actually rock Hagler a little bit, I felt, when he sort of threw a right-handed uppercut. But Hagler sort of just, you know, he just walked forward. That's just what he did. He, he, he Nothing really seemed to phase him. He had his head down and he was ready to go. And that was the one shot that I felt that Hearns may have hurt him with. Now, I can't quite, I'm not quite sure if that was the right hand that actually opened up the cut, but then a deep cut did open up on Hagler's forehead. It's savage, really, from both fellas, but I mean, this cut was quite bad as well. Yeah, so I don't think, I think it was only, it wasn't much left of the round either, so the cut was open quite badly as as they sort of trotted off back to their corners, but what a ferocious first round that was. It was just unreal. I've never seen anything like it and even still to this day, I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever will. It was just unreal. It really was unbelievable. And also, after the end of that first round, Tommy Hearns actually broke his hand during the exchanges of the first round. And again, something that weren't known at the time of the fight taking place, but again was found out in the aftermath of the particular fight. That so all the bombs that he was landing and catching Hagler with and the one that he rocked him with as you talked about in that fight he actually ended up breaking his hand so he had to go out there in the second round and it was just more of the same really I think in the second round when you watch it back when I was talking about the fact that he'd had this massage prior to the fight on the night he come out and he's looking a little bit rubbery legged at this point and I think it's Sugar Ray Leonard, who actually says he doesn't like the way Tommy's moving, he looks a little bit rubbery-legged. Even Hearns has, has even gone on to comment later on down the line that he even felt himself his legs were gone at this point in the second round. But he come out, he was a bit more cautious, but Hagler started to experiment a little bit and he decided to switch to orthodox for a few moments. So it slowed down a little bit, but not over the top. It led us in to the third and final round, which is the round where the fight ended and we got one of the most legendary nights we've ever seen in boxing. Tremendous right. Hearns appears rubbery. He appeared that way in the second round. You know, Richard Steele is breaking these fighters very quickly. That's uncharacteristic of him. It's hurting Hagler because he wants to walk inside. Hearns is smiling, but he's taking shots. Another right hand. Hearns turns his back, takes another right. Hearns in deep trouble again. Hearns is down. Hearns is down in the third round and on his back. And he's not going to beat the count. I don't believe Tommy Hearns tries to get up and he... They've got to stop this fight. Does he get up? He just doesn't know. He can't continue. It's Hagler full of blood. Blood no doubt impeding his vision. Stopping him in the third round after Hearns almost ended it on a first round knockout. It didn't go very far, but it was a beauty. Yeah, I mean, you say that with a break as well. When when uh, sort of Hearns did return to his corner, 
I think most when you watch the fight, is the cameras obviously are, are more interested in Hagler's cut and how bad it is. And with him being bold, it obviously looks worse than it is. Uh, it was a bad cut, don't get me wrong, but the good thing about it was banging in the middle of the forehead, so it's sort of going in between the ears. Eyes, sorry. So you know the severity of the cut was was what everybody was wanted to know about. Whereas, unbeknownst to everybody else, was that Hearns obviously was in the coma, and he actually when he sat down, he actually said the words to Emmanuel Stewart: "My hand is broke." Stewart sort of replied, "What do you mean? Is it sore?" And Hearns says, "No, it's broke." So he knew, and then obviously, as you as you say in that second round, he did. He came out. He he tried to be a little bit more cautious by throwing the sort of sort of keeping the distance and throwing the jab at. Um, and he, he retreated quite a few times when Hagler sort of forced him back. And uh, Hagler was cutting the ring off really well when he was throwing some, some great shots. His jab was finding the mark more repeatedly. And he was, as I say, he was cutting off the ring really well. And it was right towards the end of that round where Hagler had Hearns trapped against the ropes. And just before the bell, Hagler lands a right-left combo and then followed by a right hook. And, and Hearns was wobbled. And then literally... Not long after the bell sounded. So going back to that third round, and obviously straight away, Petronelli Goody is straight on the cut and he's just cleaning it up and the doctors are having a little look. And then they start the third round, which still allows them to start, I think, probably about 30 seconds, if not a minute, probably less. The fight gets stalled. And it's Richard still asks the doctors to sort of come in and have a look. And the doctor does say to Marvin, can you see all right? And Hagler's response was, sure, I can see fine. I ain't missing him, am I? So Hagler was—he didn't give a crap about what, what was what was wrong with his cut. He just wanted to to, to literally take Hearns' head off, and uh, and boy, did he do that! He certainly did, and and the ringside physician actually looked at that cut in that stoppage and basically told the referee Richard Steele that no, the cut's actually not bothering him. Let him go. So that's how the fight ended up continuing, which in, in different scenarios, that may have been stopped and we may have never got this fight. But fortunately for us, we got an amazing fight and we got an amazing end to the fight because obviously, you know, Tommy's spent at this this point in time. You can kind of see it watching the fight back that he's, uh, he's ready to go. He's, he's ready to go. Uh, and obviously that's what... Marvin Hagler did. He absolutely landed a ferocious right hand over the top, which he caught. I think it was. It looked more like it was on the temple from different angles, but he caught him in the sweet spot. Uh, and then you see sort of Tommy's legs go from underneath him, and he ends up falling forward and goes down. And he's trying to get up, and he's trying to get up, and he just about manages to get up at nine, but he's just he's just not enough. He's the, the referee gets to ten, and he's he's not you know he's not fully ready to go and that's where the referee obviously steps in and, and, and that's it he's gone at the end of the day it's over it's over and ironically Sugar Ray Leonard's doing the commentary as well and uh, and you can hear him yelling into the microphone at the time he's gone he's gone and that's it it's just an amazing end to what was an amazing fight yeah it really was and, uh, and that one thing I noticed is just before sort of when Hagler's in the complete ascendancy and then he catches hands I think it's like a right hand and and you see Hearns sort of just, he goes from one side of the ring to the other and he's sort of dazed and he's wobbling away. And it's just an iconic shot for me when you see him sort of on them wobbly legs sort of sliding across the ring and just wobbling about. And then he sort of look, looks round and I think he thinks, and he says his little snide, little smart smirk in his face as if to say like he's got away and as if to say that I'm not hurt. And then because he was still obviously dazed, Hagler's, gone chasing after him from one side of the ring to the other and that's when as it sort of turns round, Hagler's throwing that right hand, he throws two massive right hands. And when he 
that first one connects. I mean, it hurts him. The, the second one flattens him. I mean, he's on his back. He's looking up at the lights. And again, another iconic shot of, of Tommy Hearns on the floor, completely out. As you say, credit to the guy. I mean, what courage he must have had. Broken hand, busted up, you know, manages to get to his feet. And then in the end, I think, I think Richard still even said, that he wasn't, he, he knew he was going to call it a day, but then he realised that he's actually holding Tommy up and then he just sort of laid him down. And then, again, you have this, this weird situation where one of his entourage is actually carrying him like a baby. And then that was one of the, uh, that was one of the pictures that was sort of, everybody took and it was spattered across all the newspapers the next morning. So, Tommy, to his credit as well, I mean, the other thing was the broken hand situation. He never told anybody about that broken hand to the point where he didn't even see a doctor while he was in Vegas. He didn't actually see a doctor until he got back to Detroit. And Emmanuel Stewart said the reason why he didn't do that was because he didn't want anyone else to get wind of the fact that he broke his hand because he didn't want to discredit Hagler's win. And, and that just shows you the type of guy that Tommy was. And he was very nice after. I mean, we, we spoke about all the, the bullshit trash talk he, he put in uh, at Hagler during the tour. And Hagler obviously getting really pissed off of it and he felt that it was disrespectful but you know the respect was clear to see after the fight they both respected each other apart from the, the one line where uh, Hagler sort of said I, I told you I'll eat him up like Pac-Man I thought that was a great quote <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Marvin you took the action to Tommy right away you went right for his body he looked like he stunned you momentarily with the right in the first did that right hurt you? Uh, it didn't bother me it just made me matter okay. I told you I was going to eat him up like Pac-Man I figured once I get through the right hand then it was all mine, you know, because I think the first big one, what you tried, yeah. tried to put me away out there. And I think that's when I got the cut there, but I wanted to show the world I am the greatest now. Well, you are the greatest middleweight. There's no doubt about that. You went right for the body. Was that your plan immediately? That was the way we planned. I want to thank all my sparring partners, especially I want to thank God for giving me the strength and the courage and, uh, and, and, and the confidence to go in here and to know that I, I was the one. I was the champion, but I had to fight like a challenger. That fight, I think, took tremendous courage on your part for this reason. You walked right in against the cannon. You were willing to take the right hand to knock him out. You got it. I figured I had to take punches or to give some, but I told you he was going to get some too. This was, in some ways, not like the Marvin Hagler we've often seen. Not the ring technician. You were, you bombed. That's it. That's what I felt. I felt as though with every one of my fights I've been fighting, I, I improved and I put it all together in this fight. <laughs> the Petronelli's here. I guess you've got to be just thrilled with this. It's probably your biggest He's moment. The greatest. There's this guy. Does he now that we All take right. care of the, the, the you know the That's white the guys? Hurt man. Uh, the hurt man, the hit man. He's oh, the, we love him. I want to say uh, to all the people out there who spent their money. I hope that you got your money's worth because Tommy's a hell of a fighter, and uh, I think I put all my all out here. But uh, the better man won tonight. Well, you look <laughs> at you look at Hearns then, and Hearns. Looking back on this particular fight and an interview he did a couple of years ago, this is what he had to say. It was one of the shortest yet most exciting fights most people had ever seen, but it was three rounds I just want to forget. In my opinion, both of us had drained ourselves to make the weight, but as soon as the bell rung, we just ran out of the corner. I was thinking to myself, look at this fool, what's wrong with him? Something has made him mad. I knew it wouldn't be long before someone was out of there. I punched him again and again as hard as I could and then just wondered how on earth he was taking these shots. I hit him with everything I had. It was unreal. He was a freak. He just kept coming. I'm not a quitter, but I think I lost heart. All I could think to do was keep popping him as he came forward and then he got me. 
It only ever takes one punch to change things, and that's what happened to me. That's always the danger. Well, for me, I mean, Hearns, he came out of that first round like he wanted to end it. The, the, the punches he was literally throwing, they were all massive bombs. And, and I've got a little, that's what I've got in front of me. So a combined total of 339 punches in just eight minutes of boxing landed in that fight. 339 punches were thrown between a pair of them. 96 of 173 Hagler landed and hers landed 94 of 166 and that's just eight minutes of boxing so that's that's unreal unbelievable and and, and you know it's just it makes this fight so magnificent it really is a stunning stunning fight and 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 one that as I say it's just all knowledgeable experts have described it as the greatest short fight in boxing history and I just I can't I, I there's, there's no more you can really say, really. It was just brilliant. And uh, one of the best boxing fights in, in the latter half of the 20th century. This, for Hagler, was his 10th knockout in 11 successful defences. And it's, for, for, for a lot of fans and a lot of journalists alike, it's regarded as the pinnacle achievement in his career because it cemented his legacy as one of the greatest middleweights of all time as well. And remember, we've spoke about this on, on the Career Profiles episode of Marvin Hagler, about where we rate him as, as one of the greatest middleweights, in some people's eyes, the greatest middleweight. So this was a crowning achievement for him. Uh, and we'll obviously touch on the aftermath of both men in a few moments. But in terms of the fight itself then, the Ring magazine named this fight the fight of the year for 1985. Uh, and round one was named round of the year. So, for me, that kind of put it into perspective that even though it was a very short fight, only eight minutes, it was actually voted the best fight of that year. And round one was voted the best round of the year as well. And in fact, it's probably there in... If he was going to do a top ten of the best rounds of the best fights of all time, it's going to be up there. Certainly going to be up there. I mean, the Legendary Night series has brought us Corrales versus Castillo. It's brought us Roberto Duran versus Sugar Ray Leonard. It's brought us some of the greatest fights in this series that we run. And some of them are certainly up there. And Marvin Hagler and Tommy Hearns is certainly another one that is definitely up there in, in that top 10 of, of, of rounds of fights. So the aftermath for both men then, then Johnston. Well, let's look at Tommy Hearns first, because obviously, you know, we've done a full career profile on him. So if you want to listen to a bit more of a deep dive into that career, again, go and check it out on the career profiles feed. But in the immediate aftermath for, for Tommy Hearns, obviously this was a, a crushing defeat for him. And something that I, I didn't think about you know, when looking at this fight and looking at Tommy Hearns' career in, in hindsight, is actually that Tommy Hearns had two mega fights in his career. That was Sugar Ray Leonard and Marvin Hagler, and yet he lost them both. But because of what else he did in his career, he's still regarded as one of the greatest fighters of all time. But when you put it like that, he lost to, to two of the other greatest fighters of all time as well. So it depends on how you want to look at it. You know, how much of a crushing loss was this? Because he would go on to, to win world titles in other weights after this as well. But in the immediate aftermath for him, it was it was a big loss. And obviously after this particular fight, he'd nearly spend a year out of the ring. Yeah, and and, and what you say is right. It's, it's funny, isn't it? You know, losing to Hagler and losing to Leonard. And, and they are the two big marquee fights. And, and they helped cement Leonard and Hagler's legacy, really, as as two of the greatest of, of their era and of all time. So, 
So Hearn's pretty much come up short. But I suppose the other guy was the Roberto Duran, and he got rid of him in two, which is something nobody had ever done. Which you know, the career profiles come come from the fact that he is voted as the greatest night middleweight, and then I think. I think, or junior middleweight, whatever, superweight, whatever you want to call it, you know, I think that is pretty much what Hearns was about for me. I think he, he could have stuck around a little bit longer in that division and he could have really got on to, to cement his legacy in that division. But Hagler's fight was big money for him, wasn't it? He's going to move up to the middleweight division and he's going to, you know, he's going to fight the, the, the biggest name he can. And, and that is one thing about Tommy Hearns. You can't knock it. And, and when we talk about Roberto Duran, you talk about him as a lightweight. So, you know, he sort of has that before. And Hearns, I think, it's sort of after these two fights. So obviously, he does fight Leonard as well. He also wins a third world title at light heavyweight. You know, he wins a fourth world title at, at middleweight. Eventually wins that WBC middleweight against Roldan. And then actually goes on to win a fifth world title as well at super middleweight. So, you know, he became the first to ever hold you know, to be a four-weight world champion in, in 1987 and in the fit a five-weight world champion in 1988. So in that respect, you know, I think his career, it, it progressed, actually got better. You know, he ended up with the draw as well with Sugar Ray Leonard, which still he should have won that fight, albeit they weren't at their peak peak. But, you know, it's still a name that I believe he should have had on his record. But even still, you know, terms, uh, putting his fight in perspective just in general, I mean, it, it, I would say Castillo and Corrales is my favourite fight ever but in Gatty Ward as well but this is up there this is 100% in the top five and, and Hearns's career as you say he fell short against the top guys but he did manage to go on to be a five weight world champion so Hagler's aftermath then of his career would only last two more fights because he would go in and have a, an absolute war of attrition against John the Beast Mugabe and then he would have his mega fight the super fight against sugar ray leonard which is another legendary nights episode which we have already covered so go and listen to that if you've not already listened to it we've got them two fights that finished his career and although he had that loss and retired after sugar ray leonard and losing on a, a controversial split decision his career and his legacy was already cemented at this point and, and it's this fight and it's this legendary night with Tommy Hearns that really did cement his legacy of one of the greatest middleweights of all time. And people may argue, yeah, but he was facing a guy who would come up from, from light middleweight. But this was a guy, as we just said then, rightly so, went on to actually win titles in higher weights. So it's it, it's whichever way you want to look at it. Was this the career-defining night for Marvin Hagler? I certainly think so. I certainly think this is the one that cemented his legacy. And this is a fight we wouldn't be talking about what, 34 years, 35 years even, after the fact it happened because of how good of a fight it was. And this was a really enjoyable, legendary night to cover. Absolutely. And, and Hagler, again, I mean, he, I think you're right. I think this was a defining night for him. And he even said in the ring after when he was getting interviewed and he did say, you know, people kept sort of saying to him that, you know, he hasn't quite had that big fight yet. And, and he, he was a good fighter, a great fighter, if you like, but he's not the, one of the greatest and, and he was quick to say, look, come on, you've got to give me credit now what I've just done to Tommy Hearns. And, and people do. And, and you know, that, I can't... For me, he is... I say, I really don't know. I think him and Carlos Monza are my two best middleweights to have ever fought. And he was close to, to uh, catching Carlos Monza in terms of his... I think it was the Sugar Ray fight. I think he needed to win that to draw equal with Monza's record of uh, defences. And unfortunately... He come up short in, in, as you say, a legendary night we've done. So go and listen to that. But an excellent fight. I mean, as I say, I probably would have this 
probably around, crazy enough to say, probably about my third or fourth best fight. But for me, Cristiano Carrera is still my number one. But even still, this is this happened in 1985, for goodness sake. And my goodness me, what a fight. It certainly was. So, if you've enjoyed listening to this legendary night, the tale of Marvin Hagler versus Tommy Hearns, then please go and check us out on Apple Podcasts or any other available podcasting app out there like Spotify. You can even check us out on our YouTube channel as well and do it on there. But the Legendary Nights podcast has its own feed on Twitter. You can go and follow us at Legend Night Pod on Twitter to go and check out all the latest episodes of the Legendary Nights series. If you've not already subscribed to any of the other series we've got, which is Career Profiles, Ones to Watch and the main BTR Boxing Podcast feed, you can go and do that by checking them out all on Apple Podcasts on any other available podcasting app out there. So, as always, thank you very much for listening to the Legendary Nights series. We hope you've enjoyed the tale of Marvin Hagler versus Tommy Hearns. And right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss, a tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. It happened. Uppercut by Douglas. Down goes Tyson. Hooks it. Right hand shot. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.